Good morning. Now, interestingly, if we gathered in St. Peter's Square as a new pope was being installed, we would quite possibly hear today's gospel being proclaimed. It's a reading about the weight of the ministry of St. Peter, but also the love and mercy of Jesus at the start of the Pope's new ministry. And this morning, we find out why this gospel reading is chosen. After Jesus' death in St. John's Gospel, the apostles return from Jerusalem, the site of the crime against Jesus, and they go back to Galilee. And they do, and they do what many of us would do. That is, they go back to what they know. In their case, fishing. The disciples return to those routine tasks of life. It was second nature, which must have been reassuring to them in their lives as they were up, lives were turned upside down by the events of the crucifixion and Calvary. Incidentally, we shouldn't interpret their return to Galilee as some sort of lack of faith that they were hiding or something, for Jesus predicted that he would meet his disciples in Galilee. So in reality, it is really an act of faith as they waited for that sign, that third appearance of Jesus from the Lord about what they were to do next. You know, there's a small church along the shore in Galilee that commemorates this gospel scene. It's called the Church of the Primacy of St. Peter. I've been there myself. I recall a smiling elderly Franciscan brother seated at the entrance, keeping watch over the church and greeting pilgrims. Hands down, it was my favorite place in the Holy Land, as it's easy to put yourself in that post-resurrection story. Still today, it is a peaceful place. The water is very, very calm. I imagine the trip offshore to be a quiet, reflective one filled with the routines of their former way of life as gentle waves lap against the side of the boat. The apostles see Jesus on the shore, though as in many of the resurrection appearances, they fail to recognize him at first. There is, but they are obedient to man on the shore who catches a tremendous Hall of fish, 153 fish, which incidentally coincided with the number of nations or peoples known in Jesus' time, which took them back to a similar miraculous hall of fish at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry and the beginning of their discipleship a few years earlier. It is then that they begin to realize it is Jesus. The beloved disciple makes his profession of faith as he cries out, it is the Lord. And likewise, St. Peter makes his profession of faith as he jumps into the water and swims toward Jesus, which reminds us of the journey through the waters of baptism. And in that process, St. Peter is being transformed. That is, despite his threefold denial on the night of Jesus' arrest, he will be rehabilitated. He will also be given the confirmation of his role as the chief of the apostles and also what this role will mean for him. The implications of this role will mean for him personally. When they arrive on Sur, they see that Jesus has cooked breakfast for the apostles that morning, bringing them back to the Last Supper with its Eucharistic overtone. St. John says he took bread and he gave it to them. But there is also a purification that needs to take place that is symbolized by the little charcoal fire. 
That fire is a potent reminder of the charcoal fire at which St. Peter warmed himself that faithful night when he denied the Lord. But at this charcoal fire, Jesus shows his apostles the highest form of love as he gently and he mercifully and most importantly, thoroughly forgives St. Peter. He forgives him three times, one for each of his denials. And with each of these absolutions, he gives him a commissioning. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my lambs. St. Peter is installed as the undisputed shepherd of Jesus' flock. Sometimes this is hard to really understand how quickly this happens. I mean, forgiveness, yes. But what if we were a victim of such a sin, our weak humanity would still be cautious with the denier. We'd probably want St. Peter to prove himself before giving him any sort of responsibility. In other words, rehabilitation would require counsel and maybe restitution. For some, it'd be incarceration. But Jesus uses this moment to install Peter as Christ's representative on earth after he ascends into heaven. As the beloved disciple says, it is the Lord, and we know that Jesus does things differently than we would. But we also know that it is, it is our task to learn the ways of the Lord, to do things as he does them, to appreciate his ways and imitate them in our lives. And that includes generous and total forgiveness of those who trespass against us. Jesus wants love. Not because he commands it, not in a sense of duty or for any personal benefit. No, he wants us to love him freely. He asks three times, do you love me, Peter? And by this, he is not demanding anything of Peter, but he wants to show his threefold questioning the depth of his love for St. Peter in return. Sometimes I lack that kind of tenderness. I get it honestly, the example of 12 Polish ants, for example, who carried grudges for years with one another. They never forgave one another. I have a lot of work to do to overcome that and to imitate this scene in my own life. If we could only find it within us to let go of past hurts that we've experienced, like rejection and denial, how much better would our world be? How much better would our lives be as we were bereft of bitterness? As I mentioned earlier, this text is often chosen for a new pope's installation. And on that occasion, it is the last section that is the most poignant. That is, when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and somebody else will dress you and take you where you would rather not go. Of course, Jesus is referring to St. Peter's death, that he would be led to a place of execution at the end of his life. We know that this was Peter's face as he was crucified in Rome right next to St. Peter's where it now stands and, this, and that his bones rest underneath that massive basilica. The last words of today's gospel are the most awesome and devastating for the successor of St. Peter. For as, after this, Jesus says, follow me. Peter was to follow Christ and dedicate his whole life to him and work tirelessly for the spread of the gospel. And he would also imitate Jesus in his death to give his life for Christ. Martyrdom 
is unlikely to be happening to us, any of us here, though, although one never knows, especially in the modern era, when we ponder, for example, the recent deaths in Sri Lanka on Easter Sunday morning. But there are many kinds of martyrdom. Not all are asked to be nailed to a cross like St. Peter or to be, headed, to be beheaded like St. Thomas More or burned at the stake like St. Joan of Arc, but we will all die. And at that moment, we can give ourselves to God as did the martyrs, an ultimate surrender to God. Hopefully, too, it will not be a new concept for us. Hopefully, we surrender to God's will every day of our lives that prepares us for that final surrender. Like many of you, I pray asking for Mary to help me in that moment, now and at the hour of our death as the prayer goes. And we do so with good reason, for we know that that's the most important hour of our lives, the moment of truth for us all. St. Peter was found wanting as he warmed himself by the charcoal fire on the night of Jesus' arrest. I'm sure that we never felt, he never felt so cold in his humiliation as when the cock crowed three times. But conversely, there was never so warm a fire as that little charcoal fire on the shore on the morning in Galilee that afforded Peter joyful hope when he was forgiven. So when we feel dread after we deny the Lord by our own sinfulness, let us remember the fire in Galilee and the restoration that the Lord wishes for all of us. And then let us be mindful that Jesus, that for Jesus, that restoration is closely united to our mission to spread the good news that Jesus loves us, forgives us, and sends us into an often unbelieving world.